Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Well, hey there, rugby fans. Welcome to another great episode of the MLR Rant Podcast Show. My name is Ty Braga, your host for today's activities, alongside Rob the Hammer Hammerschmidt and Scott Ferrara, the big guy himself from the Rooster Boosters Supporters Club. Yes, that's two. Did I get it right? No. Not even close. No. <laughs> it felt good, but it was still wrong. You know what? <laughs> We have to be able to, of course, acknowledge the fourth person on screen here. We have the familiar face who was with us a few weeks back. Let's welcome back Blake Rogers. Welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on. Excellent. Well, Blake, the last time we had you here, you were being interviewed. Now you're going to put these guys to the test in the rant. So I want to take a moment to be able to share with our viewers just tuning in for the first time, perhaps, how it works. So in the MLR rant, these gentlemen are going to tackle the tough topics today. We'll be talking about the salary cap in Major League Rugby. Is it good? Should we increase it? They'll tell you what they think in a moment's time. Beyond that, we're also going to take a moment to talk about the growing trend in using esports platforms to connect with new audiences and, of course, create new revenue streams. These are exciting points to talk about, gentlemen, and we're going to put you to the test where each of these participants on screen have two minutes to be able to say they think about these points. And we're going to start it off on this occasion in the top left-hand corner with Scott Ferrara. The floor is yours. So for the upcoming year, I believe the salary cap should stay the same. I don't think there needs to be an increase right now. Um, with the truncated season uh, of 2020, I think we we have to continue on that upward momentum we had. And with everything stalled, I don't see a need to create more expenses, especially if you're going to have Hawaii in the league. And as we understand, Hawaii is kind of um, going to help out the teams to, to get to Hawaii to play. But but still, I can I, right now, I still consider consider this a fledgling organization and they have to do it incrementally. So maybe maybe they do increase it, but not by a lot. My second thing is I think they should do what Japan does. You know, so Japan right now would already have the salary cap set from the prior year. So before the 2020 season started, Japan would have set the 2021 salary cap. So that way you knew what you were going into. Uh, and it, it just keeps everybody kind of honest and, and on the same page. Right. And yeah, so there, have, of course, has to be a clear understanding of what it is. It needs to be attainable. It can't be too much of a burden to a league, especially as you so rightly pointed out. MLR is not an established league by international standards just yet. While it's definitely in the best position rugby has ever been in the U.S., it's still got a long way to go. So why would you, in your mind, say, continue burdening it when it's at a place that is manageable right now, if I understand you correctly, Scott, right? Absolutely. And it's one of those things where it's a hard salary cap, and and the only thing you have to do is stay within that for salary purposes. Keep it simple. Keep it tight. and And that's the way to go right now. Excellent. Well, some great points there. And let's hand it over to our man of the moment to take the reins. Blake Rogers, what do you think? Well, I'm going to have to agree with Scott a little bit. Uh, 
I don't think there needs to be a huge jump right away. As a player, obviously, I would love to get paid more. But from the business side of things, I think if you grow too quick, you know, it might be a soft foundation. It might crumble down pretty fast. And um, with it being a new league and developing American talent, if you raise that salary cap, you know, really high, how many American players are going to be playing? You know, where, where is that money going to be outsourced to? You know, it would probably be more international players from overseas. So I'm kind of split between two, but I'm going to have to say that I probably don't agree with raising it too much too quickly. Right. So, you know, you bring up another great point, building on what Scott had mentioned is about sustainability is you don't want to grow too quickly. You don't want to spread yourself too thin. And, you know, Major League Rugby is in the fortunate position, or should I say was, if we rewind a little bit to pre-COVID conditions and when it struck, they had committed to being able to pay everybody's salary because it was manageable. They could achieve that in comparison to other leagues around the world to be able to give some of our, our viewers a better idea of salary caps in leagues elsewhere. Uh, currently, according to rock.co.uk, the most expensive league, or should we say the highest salary cap, is actually that of the French top 14, followed by Pro 14, the Irish teams. Then it's Gallagher Premiership. Pro 14 for Wales, Pro 14 for Scotland, and then finally in the sixth spot is actually Super Rugby. So, you know, you have to imagine that we're going to be pretty far down that list, which made us a little bit easier to get through the toughest times that sporting has ever seen in this period without rugby during COVID conditions because they didn't overextend themselves with large salary caps and burden the team. So, yeah, great points from both of you there. Let's hand it over to Rob. Well, I think this issue is significant and important because a lot of fans are a little frustrated by uh, the lack of transparency. And I understand why that exists by the league, especially at such a, a fledgling level. They need to manage that component. And it was kind of interesting, like uh, Benji uh, talks a lot from NOLA about the need to be uh, more transparent and what some of these big splash marquee players are being paid because, of course, it's a little smaller market. NOLA is not New York. NOLA is not LA. NOLA is not Dallas. So I get his frustration. On the other hand, I know we've had some pretty lively conversations with Scott. who's like, yeah, but in the same vein, New York City is incredibly expensive. And as Blake, you know, yeah. being a Californian guy, you can attest, you know, when you go visit LA, uh, you know it's really expensive to live uh, in a city like that. So on the same token, I think it's important that, um, you know, those teams be able to attract players and, and make some of the ancillary benefits worthwhile. With that being said, I'm in favor of a salary cap. I think it needs to stay at the uh, 2020 level for 2021. Um, but I would like to see as a caveat, I'd like to see unionization for the players. And what I'm concerned about are players that are getting that, that hourly rate I'm concerned about young players from the draft. You're talking about college kids that are just starting off in life. They're having difficulty making decisions. Do they jump and go all the way across the country in order to play for a team? And they're not really sure um, that they're going to be able to make their experience sustainable. So it makes it rather challenging. I think a union stepping in and assuring some consistency would help alleviate for those concerns. And one last point, I'd like to see a marquee player designation. So you bring in a Chris Robshaw and you say, yeah, we're going to pay him $45,000 US and we're going to give him uh, the ability to lease a car. We're going to lease a car for him. We're going to provide an apartment. We're going to be 
uh, a bit more transparent about what we're giving him. And if every team has one of these, then we at least know that there's a level playing field for that top level player. So excellent points. So many of them that you went well past your two minutes. Uh, <laughs> but we know from past so, experience so what, that 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 Scott that Scott gets yellow cards all the time, and they don't matter. So, well, he's so it well it, sir, where is that yellow card? It's, I'm it's, 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 uh, it's going to be handed as yellow as the shirt you're wearing. Yellow yeah. card is given to the player in the bottom right hand corner. And although there were good points, so let's let's just take a moment to be able to unpack some of those things that you had said. Now, first off, it's probably great for viewers to be able to understand what is the salary cap. If you're just tuning in, okay, salary cap is essentially the pool of money that can be used to be able to employ players for your team. The average squad, what, 35 players? So you can do the math on that one. But no player can be paid above 45000 as an annual salary. Correct me if I'm wrong, gentlemen, right? Right. And at least that's how it was for 2019, 2020 who knows what it will be for 2021, right? We don't understand. Nothing's been developed there, but it does have a maximum of 500,000 per team. So what Rob had branched into is, well, when you look at a salary, what you pay somebody and what they get is quite a different thing in the league right now. So if you had a marquee player, and as you so rightly pointed out, was paid the maximum that could be possible in the league following all the guidelines, what about the house? What about the car? So these essentially are the perks. So that is another conversation there. And that I'm sure Scott would have something to be able to say. In fact, let's throw it over to him and ask him, what do you think about that conversation? Should the perks be included in the salary packet? At this point, they, they shouldn't be because you, you have so many guys who have to live in like what, what Rooney called the murder house, um, which was uh, the reason they called it the murder house. It didn't look like much on the outside. And then the inside was completely renovated to their liking. Um, but you're telling guys to, to, to go live in New York City where the average apartment, you know, they're going to spend two, three thousand dollars a month each to live in an apartment. If you're a per diem guy, how much are you really making? You're also doing a second job. Even if you're a full-time guy, Connor Wallace Sims played full-time, had a, had a job. Luke Hume played full-time, had a job. Mike Petrie, Chris Matina played full-time, had a job. Luckily, they've already set up here. But you have players like Marcus Walsh who come over from, from Ireland. You have players, Patty Ryan, James Rochford, they come over from Ireland. I don't think you can expect to say that their living expenses should be part of this salary cap, because then how is Rooney going to pay any of their players? Now, the only thing I'll, I'll talk about when well, Rob mentioned Benji and, 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 you know, Nola having a lower cost of living, but you know what? There's people, there's, there's sports figures in new Orleans that have marketability. So I don't think it's beyond the realm of some guy going down to Nola and figuring it out because, you know, and I, and I understand the NFL guys make a lot more money, but you can figure out something to, to have that side hustle, you know? So, I mean, I think it's, you, you have to fine tune it until you reach a level where everybody is sustainably comfortable living and playing in certain areas. Right. And it is true to be able to bring up the point that obviously there are different costs of living in Seattle or San Diego or, you know, the new soon to be LA. And, you know, maybe you can jump in over here, Blake, and give us a unique perspective. I know that you found it really easy to be able to adopt a position with uh, the Raptors because you were already in Colorado. Um, however, 
how is it different for some of the players that you've seen in the league where they have to be able to think about these costs also considering a salary packet being as small as it could be in comparison to other leagues? Yeah, so with the salary cap being where it is, most players are living paycheck to paycheck that I know of. So without being too comfortable, you have to have the perks, I think, to at least bring in some players and at least want to keep them there. Um, I think if there was no incentive incentives, I don't know how easy it'd be to get somebody to move across the country. Um, so going off of that, if you want the players union and you want to have everything under the salary cap, then you're going to have to raise the salary cap. Right. So So you're saying, yeah, there needs to be a new set of rules then. And if you get, you know, a set standard that has to be included uh, or it has to be raised. I mean, one's got to give, right? You have to live. You have to survive. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. hundred percent. You know, and, and as the league grows, I mean, the best investment they can make is in the players and, you know, the organizations that they support. So yeah, absolutely. It's very hard to be able to attract a player to come to New York, for example, uh, on a salary of 25K and expecting to have a livable wage and a decent life that comes with it. So, yeah, I definitely understand it from that point of view. Just, Rob, and I just to point, to in. well, I want to jump in on, on Rob. Uh, sorry, Rob, I want to interrupt. As a fan, I have to drive two hours to go to a home match, pay 20 bucks to park, pay for the ticket, pay for parking afterwards to go to the social, then whatever I have to do at the social, and then drive two hours home. And most people who live in Manhattan, it's a two to three hour subway ride to the match. And so, I mean, I could, I can only imagine. Uh, the perks of living in the greatest city in the world, right? <laughs> well, I mean, as a, as a player trying to do that and then do it within a, a right. salary range of $45,000, and that's gross. That's not even net. You know, so start taking out your taxes and what do you, you know, where, where are we at now? Sorry, Rob. No, no worries. Now, make no mistake, guys. I'm not suggesting that all the perks need to be included under the sal- on the salary cap and under that forty five thousand for an individual or five hundred for a team. That's not what I'm saying. I, I'm okay with that cap, and I'm okay with that simply being salary, and I'm okay with the perks. I just think the frustration from a lot of fans is that you know what are the perks? What is and is not in the transparency that and comes it's, with divulging that information, right? And and the reason I would like to see unionization is not necessarily so all those things are divulged so much as I'm looking for some protections for those players, those young players, those uh, per you know per hourly players that have to travel across the country or have to go to great pains to now uh, you know play for the team that they they were mm-hmm. drafted. Right. So I, th- I think that, that's an important piece uh, for me. And again, with the marquee player designation, just putting all the cards out on the table. Yes. Uh, San Diego, we have a BMW sponsorship. And yes, we are going to you know, provide a, a lease agreement so that Chris Robshaw is driving around a BMW. So what? You know, uh, uh, Rooney could get a you know BMW or a Mercedes sponsorship and and work to yeah. the same ends. So. Uh, as long as those things are out there and people are aware of them, I think it's helpful for fans to understand what their teams face on a regular basis, especially smaller market teams. Also, right. and I, well, I could see that, but I also coming from the other side, like sometimes I feel like when they're talking about the NFL contracts that, that are public, they give you so much detail. I'm, I feel like, you know, do I need that much detail on Blake Rogers MLR, MLR star and his findings. Like, like, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm just saying like as a fan, you want some transparency and you want to know things, but at a certain point, the microscope gets too fine 
on what we're asking and, and what we're talking about. And to me, like personally, sometimes finances are a little too personal when you're going into that detail. Right. Especially at where the league is now, where sure, these guys aren't making, you know, $4 million contracts on a regular basis. However, when you do look at a marquee player like Chris Robshaw, who is of course scheduled to be able to join the San Diego Legion come next season, and he comes with a, a rich rugby history. I mean, being an English uh, international captain and Harlequins for his, almost his entire career, he has a salary cap that's expected, sorry, salary that's expected in the region of about 320,000 pounds, which is roughly about $400,000 that he's currently achieving. So fans would ask, well, how can they do this? And then those that are inside those circle rugby circles why does one team have the ability to do this and no one else does? Well, because they got the right sponsor, because they got the right backing. So where is the level playing field is what some may say. Okay. I want to jump in on that one. Yeah, I can see that a little bit, but my concern, it's, this is, this is hard as a player, right? To kind of sit on both sides of this fence here. Yeah. Um, I could see why people want to want to know what they're offering us on the outside to make us want to stay or make us want to move across the country. Yeah. But I'm not, I mean, I'm not, yeah, I'm not making, I'm not one of the top players. I'm not making a bunch of money. If I was making, you know, $3 million, I'd be like, Hey, I'll show you everything, but you wouldn't <laughs> be on our show. But I get what you're saying though is, but I think it's not so much that and to, more towards Scott's point, maybe it's not the figure that they want to know, but it's, it's, it's how do they get there? What, what combination of right. tools are you using that you can okay. attract players and secure players of this stature? And I think that's where a little bit more understanding would go a long way to building confidence, fan confidence, and also inside those rugby circles, a little less animosity perhaps. Okay. But also, you know, if you look at Rob Shaw, he didn't go to LA. He went to San Diego. I mean, you can, in the age of digital marketing, you can do things outside of rugby to get sponsorship. I mean, when David Beckham came over, you know, LA Galaxy was all about Herbalife. He was all over the Herbalife thing, you right. know, pushing that. So, so my my thing is, in today's day and age, where in COVID, people, you know, millions of people are working from home, and we have digitized so much. You can go to Utah. You can go. Well, you you used to go to Colorado. You can go to New Orleans and get that, get your name out there for those that type of stuff. Yeah, and um, Rob looks like he disagrees. Rob Shore and would definitely have other avenues as a rugby mind, a rugby expert. It could be a panelist. He could be a writer. He could have a multitude of different things. It could be appearances that he could make up that money as well. So certainly, yeah, there's a whole you know a host of things that they could do outside that can generate their money. And a great example is Beast Matarawira who had a role not only as a player, but also as a coach and as an ambassador. So you can get a little creative with their roles as well to be able to balance it out and to give them a more well-rounded salary package, so to speak, that would give you those perks. And it is an interesting debate that many people have been talking about. But as far as it goes with the salary cap as it stands at 500000 for the league, I think we can all agree that it's reasonable to be able to leave it there Given the uncertainty that lies ahead, whereas we have no idea uh, when we'll go back to being rugby, and it makes it feasible in the business model before moving ahead into the bigger budgets. And uh, would you guys agree with that? Yeah. yeah. 
Absolutely. And you have to realize, too, if, if we're talking about the teams, right, the teams had to set up and show finances for continuation for three to four years. So if you came in in, in year one and they said the salary cap's going, you have to prove that you can pay a salary cap of 500000 over the next three years. You know, that we just reached our third year. So maybe next year is when you do that incremental change right. and and who knows with the new teams that came in elite, maybe that was the negotiated point hey you have to prove that you can give us three years worth of salary at seven hundred and fifty thousand a year knowing right. that next year they might go to six six fifty seven or seven fifty yeah it's a perfect timing as you say if you have three new additions potentially three with of course hawaii still yet to be uh, decided uh yeah absolutely perfect time to be able to say yes we are going to raise it or at least have a plan in place that by two, year two or three from your entry, you're going to be looking at a raised salary cap. Yeah, excellent points. Well, gentlemen, I think ultimately we now know that we think for for the moment at least five hundred thousand as a salary cap is reasonable. It's feasible for the league, and it also means that players uh, will, of course, be following by the same rules. And when it comes to the perks, that's yet to be seen whether that'll be divulged or whether there'll be a new standard moving forward. But it certainly is an unequal playing field to be able to ask somebody from, say, Rooney to be able to have the same costings as somebody from NOLA. Those are the challenges that they face as they grow in the league to be able to find a balance between everything. So I think that that gives us a firm understanding and all of us are in favor and understand that. Perhaps you, as a fan watching the show, think otherwise and make sure that you let us know with the comments down below. The MLR Rant podcast will be monitoring that and respond as quickly as you can. We want to hear your thoughts on what you think about the salary cap. Gentlemen, I think that it's time to be able to continue the conversation to move on to the next point, which is esports. Should rugby be paying attention? Now, to be able to help people recognize the importance and growth in esports, it certainly has merit and it has fast become an incredible moneymaker. And I'm sure you guys would agree. In fact, I want to share a few notes that will help our viewers recognize just how important it is. So I found a report from a company called Nuzu, who is an esports authority in reporting and media services. They had done a study going back to 2018 on the impact of sports esports in particular. So in 2018, esports globally accrued over 395 million. Uh, and sorry, in an audience uh, that was, I stand corrected, in an audience number, not in revenue, audience number of 395 million. Fast forward to their plan for 2023, and it's going to be 646 million people that'll be viewing esports. Then when you look at the revenue, it's even more staggering the numbers that in 2018, globally, it has generated nearly 780 million U.S. dollars. And by 2023, plans to recruit $1.5 billion. And it is unbelievable to be able to think about the potential that is yet to be seen there. So we're going to start it off on this occasion. Uh, let's start it off with Scott again, because we seem to have lost, uh, lost the rock. <laughs> like, I don't know these games. I'm out. <laughs> well, so here's the thing. So MLR had their MLR challenge to help feeding America. Um, and uh, I forgot, I think it was Canadian food banks. I, for, I forgot, I forgot exactly what the charity was for Canada, but uh, same thing to help COVID. Um, they met their goal. I think it was $5,000 in donations. And that was due to people going and watching. I watched, um, I recorded some live uh, um, MLR, virtual MLR. I think it's a great thing. Let me give you some stats on uh, NASCAR's iRacing. So uh, when NASCAR decided that 
it wasn't going to come back uh, until I think uh, around mid-May. They went and they went, they took their iRacing series and they actually put it on television. So the first race was my uh, Homestead Miami Speedway, March 22nd. Um, the NASCAR iRacing series was on FS1, which is Fox Sports 1, with 903,000 viewers. 903,000 people were watching guys virtually race a car. Now, this wasn't with the NASCAR drivers. This was with the regular iRacing series drivers. So you didn't even have the names of the NASCAR drivers associated with it. Um, the next uh, the next race, March 29th, Texas Motor Speedway, 1.339 million viewers, which this was the first one that was actually shown on Fox Live um, in lieu of the actual NASCAR. And then you had um, the racing at Bristol, um, this one was 1.179 million again on Fox. And then I believe they had one more, which was the virtual pro invitational. And that had like 2 million viewers. So NASCAR generally averages two and a half to 3 million viewers a race. They were almost reaching that 50% mark consistently. Every time they showed an I NASCAR I racing event. And then when they actually had the NASCAR drivers participate in it, viewership skyrocketed. It was almost like, the same ratings a real NASCAR event gets. So right. how is esports? How, how are we not jumping on this esports bandwagon, especially in a time where a guy like Blake Rogers, unfortunately has to sit on his butt and do nothing. I know. You know? <laughs> so the, one of the, one of the, the fun things to watch is to watch um, uh, Utah Tucci on his Twitch stream when he's playing call of duty and we're doing that. And he's not even playing, you know, necessarily a sports game. So to be able to interact live with, players to interact live with guys who are pro esports people we got to jump on this more often right and you know the obvious merit that it is uh you know that you haven't yet alluded to but i'm sure you would have is that it's far cheaper than actually hosting these events live i mean think you don't have to have a staff on team uh on on payroll you don't have to have the players i mean the the, the amount of hassle that we have in the world right now it almost seems like the logical platform to be able to continue sports and to engage an audience that is yet to be engaged blake what do you think so i mean i agree i don't see why there's a reason not to join the market at all i think what we did with the rugby 20 tournament was pretty fun you know it was really cool to interact and do all that and that was just players with players that wasn't even engaging in any other way besides of just the four people who were on screen so i would love to see it i'd love to be a part of it i just think yeah. that you need to maybe create a better platform than uh what rugby 20 was um i don't want to be too harsh and critical of that game but the play was not very well <laughs> so well, well, rugby championship four wasn't great yeah i think uh i can't tell if ty is talking or not <laughs> yeah he's, he was asking yeah he was asking if uh if the, the gameplay wasn't great and and he's right so rugby 20 isn't the best platform uh to right. play a game but this week, I believe Rugby Championship Four is coming out, and Rugby oh, Championship right. Three was an awesome game to play. Um, so I have a feeling if we can get you guys on that, um, we will be great. Um, the other, the other thing that about esports, what what's the challenge for regular sports um, betting, sports betting? So how can you involve sports betting into the esports? 
because that's the one of the biggest sources of sports income, right? A lot more money is traded hands via sports betting than sports. And what do you think the casinos are going to want to cash in on? So I think you can get these big leagues if you can get the esports on the sports betting sites. Right. Absolutely. I mean, and, and, and that's if the direction you want to go to, into is a massive revenue bump for, for anything. I mean, it depends on how you're using it. Is that solely going to be the platform that you, you approach and you say, okay, well, this is what we're doing. It's the business model. Or would esports be used as a way to be able to get kids involved? Now, I'll give you a personal example. I'm from not born in the US, right? So I'm from South Africa. Ding. So I, I, grew, I didn't know anything about American football. I still call it American football, right? Because they, that's a game that they have over there. And how I actually learned the game was from the game Madden, right? So this is how I learned the rules. So I wonder how many kids can have the same ability with Rugby Challenge 4 or Rugby 20, John Loma Rugby. I remember that when I was a kid. I mean, that was the most awesome games around. So if I had the same experience with Madden to learn a new sport and now obviously I enjoy it, why couldn't somebody else in America learn the game of rugby through this medium? So it does have an incredible way to connect with audiences that we've yet to connect with and also create these new developed revenue streams as well. What do you guys think there? Yeah, I think uh, it'd be a great way to engage new fans and definitely teach the game maybe at a different level and just from a different, through a different uh, medium. But it kind of all sounds like it need, we're hinting towards uh, an MLR rugby game. You know, if we really want to brand it and expand it and really be a revenue stream for the league, I think it needs to be something with MLR. Um, I don't right. think, you know, using a different game is going to really increase the amount and of traffic for the league. I definitely, just to interject for there for a moment, so you brought up Rugby 20, and one of the big downsides for Rugby 20 is that it didn't have all the licensing for all the different teams. So you couldn't be, you know, the English national team, and and maybe that's not the right example, but you didn't have all the licensing. So it had some, it didn't have this, it didn't have the MLR, and, you know, so that that's important, the facet of, of that too, is the platforms, the games that they're creating. Now, Obviously, if you look at the most successful sports-orientated gaming, it is FIFA. Now, FIFA is a great example. You can think of the NBA version. You can think of Madden. But internationally, FIFA is probably the number one, right? Mm -hmm. So what they do well is they provide a good product. They promote it very well. But their budget is absolutely massive. So they can put this investment into it. They can continue to grow it and develop even greater tools to be able to provide a better experience for gamers. However, with Rugby 20, uh, it had previous failures. Sometimes they released and they skipped maybe two or three years. We've never consistently had a company deliver a good product year after year after year. Perhaps Rugby (laughs) Challenge 4 might very well be that. Rob, welcome back to the conversation. Just to be able to fill you in, we've done everything we need to do. You can go home. (laughs) (laughs) Let me me drop something. Let me see if Blake – so, Blake, Saturday night, you got nothing to do with the sport and there's no sports on. For $5, you get to watch Charles Barkley play Shaquille O'Neal and NBA 2K21, best out of three. Would you not pay $5 to watch that? (laughs) <laughs> for the sake of the argument, yes, but in reality, no. <laughs> I mean, that's I, mean I would pay five bucks to, to listen to those two guys trash talk the shit out of each other that for that two hours. The best part of it. 
while they played virtual basketball and they probably don't know how to play. So it's going to even be right. better to so watch them. The there's a spectacle behind the game. Absolutely. And there's a spectacle D- DC versus Bo Barrett in rugby 20. There are people, there'd be people who would want to watch that. And that's right. how you engage your younger audiences. Yeah. So I think with the spectacle, you can get people to watch something that they wouldn't necessarily watch. Right. So one of the other great merits that esports has, and we spoke about revenue streams, one of which you said is the ability to be able to include sports betting, which of course is a massive industry in its own way. And some of the revenue streams that this report had revealed from Nuzu is that when you look at the total revenue that's expected for 2020, which they had listed as a total of 1.1 billion through global esports platforms collectively. So the biggest chunk of the money, I was quite surprised, but it does make sense. The biggest chunk of the money is from sponsors. $636 million will come from sponsorships. Second to that is the media rights that they share to be able to, of course, share the, uh, the footage. That came in at a little under $190 million. And then following that was tickets and merch for live shows and, of course, the merchandise that is sold associated to the games uh, and the gamers. That was 120 million. This is unbelievable numbers that if rugby in general could tap into even just 1% of this market would probably be able to pay for the league. Absolutely. And take a guy like the guy Ninja, who's probably never seen rugby before. Have him play Blake Rogers. You know, he's the, one of the number one gamers in the world. And let's see what happens. And again, it's the spectacle of the event. Ninja's going right. to come in with his jersey, with his team, covered in sponsors with his spiky blonde hair. And then Blake Rogers is going to kick his ass in Rugby 20 and we can all go home happy. Well, no. But I don't know about kick his ass in rugby 20. Blake Rogers, after he gets his ass kicked in rugby 2020, is going to go and pound the shit out of that little guy and, <laughs> and call it a day. So, um, yeah, I apologize. I had internet connection problems. But, you know, I, I, I mean, in general, esports is a great idea. Promote sports. There's an opportunity for sponsorship. It can draw in additional revenues. You're always looking for new revenue streams. So why not? allow for esports to happen. But uh, let's take it in the context of the MLR. Um, they need to worry about other things, right? I mean, their focus shouldn't be on esports. Should they work with uh, EA Sports to get the MLR and get the players in the game, perhaps give a revenue sharing opportunity to the players to increase player salaries? Absolutely. Should they work with sponsors to get those sponsors into the game so that sponsors get more visibility? Absolutely. But beyond that, that should not be where the league places priorities. Its priorities should be placed upon getting a quality product on the field, which it does have, but continuing to improve upon that product, developing, you know, in the Midwest, perhaps. I don't know. Just saying, throwing it out there. Any any Um, city in particular, Rob? Yeah, (laughs) off the cuff, I could think of a few right around the Chicagoland area, ding. Um, But, you know, get the product on the field going and get get the league in a good place. Oh, absolutely. And and you, you hit a couple of points there that I think resonated with me is that while it isn't their focus, it definitely could add value for the fan, the viewers, and perhaps even the players, because to imagine that Blake Rogers is a licensed player to a rugby game, you got to get a piece of the pie, right? They're using your name, they're using yeah. your identity. So you have to think that there's a positive spin there that can bring more money to the players. 
Uh, it can allow the game to be more engaging, so fans will will be able to be Blake Rogers out in this game. How cool would that be, by the way? His mind's going, man, that's awesome. He has the best mullet, Ma. You got to yeah. see this. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a Pantene advert. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and on that point, you know what I love about uh, putting MLR in Rugby 2020 and getting this game out there is it can actually help young aspiring rugby players better learn the nuances of the game. People who are right. not familiar with rugby can now better understand the nuances of rugby, given that most Americans haven't grown up playing the game. Right. So it offers even more. I had yeah. given was uh, you know being from South Africa. Uh, football was a foreign sport and a game that was never really adopted by anybody. So when I played Madden, that was the game that introduced it to me. I got to be able to understand the game. I started enjoying it. When I came over to the US, I started watching it. I felt like I actually knew what was going on. And that's all because of the game. So, you know, it grows up with you. And once gamers are invested and they enjoy a product, they usually are consumers of it year after year after year. So it does have a great ability to grow with them, as you so rightly pointed out there, Rob. So excellent points uh, uh, definitely to be able to bring up there. Uh, what else did you guys want to be able to add? Well, I want to just disagree with Rob, though, because I, that's that's MLR's overall focus, obviously, is to, to compete on the field and have the best product right. on the field. Right now, California shut down. New York is allowing travel from 24 states. So I think an immediate focus should be how to get the MLR out there, and they could do that through another virtual tournament. Rooney took it in their own hands after the virtual tournament and did a best out of three with the South China Tigers. I um, saw that, yeah. Which, uh, Rob, uh, Remescue, I think, won two out of three. Um, I think I got spanked in that first one. But something like that where it brought in a, an international team. You know, it, and got fans rugby communities from across the globe. Yeah, we're not in disagreement there. I mean, given the current COVID, I had it written down in preparation. Given the current COVID situation, I think the league actually did a great job jumping on um, the uh, the um, competition that they did when the season was canceled uh, on March 19th. They jumped right on. They, they actually, I believe, from what I understand, provided PlayStation 4s to teams. Uh, they got the games in their hands. They play, provided GoPros. They set this up. They got Twitch involved. They did live streams. They did it for charity. We know that Feeding America is a big uh, a big charity for the league. So I think they did a great job given the you know COVID situation and getting that going. I'm talking – my point was more to when, you know, hopefully as we get out of COVID and get to – play real rugby yeah. you know we should turn it they should turn our i got you i got you you know what i'm saying but well, you know, there be a youth league that that you know continues promoting the sport i mean while i recognize it's not the focus it certainly is such a powerful tool to engage a younger audience um yeah but again we talk all the time about the lack of of communication or that commu- we want more communication from the league and i think it has to do with the fact that they're really um they're trying to manage their costs and the resources that they can draw from are pretty spread pretty thin at the league offices. Once the league grows and they have the ability to have somebody dedicate or a group of people dedicate their time and dedicate their profession to growing and developing that, that's fine. I just think given the resources that they have, they're going to have trouble doing that and they should put their focus on the on-field product when it exists outside right. of this COVID situation. So, I mean, what they could focus on 
then moving forward, while you say that the resources and the manpower may not necessarily be there, or at least the resources that they have should be continuing being the uh, to to build the game itself, you know, uh, that we know at the league, the sport. Uh, but you know, they can certainly work with these organizations to have the teams licensed and have the players included yes. in that. You know, that should yeah. be continuing because that's a, an entirely new world of revenue that can come their way for once it's set up. While it would be a lot to set up these agreements, the payoff is well worth it. And it, doesn't it provide a great opportunity, perhaps in the offseason, the fall when there's no MLR, get guys like Blake or other players to get involved in these leagues and actually do something in the offseason? That would be right. an interesting opportunity right there. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's the thing. I mean, during the season, during the season, you're not going to have it. But in the offseason, and especially, you know, again, these times, this is one of those things where I call Robin old man, like when I was talking about the Giltini's colors, he just doesn't see it where the, the younger generation going through Discord servers and view, I mean, the amount of viewing time people have on twitch would blow your frigging mind yeah i mean yeah. the the amount of cumulative time people kids spend on twitch will blow your mind and i think that's one of those things that maybe some people in certain in every organization there's just a, a generation of people that won't understand that unless you give them the numbers to it yeah. So, um you know it's it's just it's unfortunately that's the way it is but I, oh, I get it. I get it. Hell, I watched Malcolm May every time he played during the virtual competition. I was rooting for him just like he's I'm rooting for him out on the field. He was my guy. Right. right. Um, I, I, I just think it's got to be, you know, it, it's got to be put in some context within the league's priorities is all. Well, I mean, if you look at the business model that already exists and I'm going to cover a couple of these points again, because they are important. And, you know, you know, you touched on where does the money come from? How do you use those resources? So it might have been when you were out, though, Rob. So what I had listed is that there's a report that studied the the uh, esports revenue streams. Yeah. So most of the money comes from sponsors, right? Yeah. A huge portion of it. So this is what's going to feed it. So you so rightly pointed out that the players who uh, participate in the virtual series for the MLR were given these tools. They're given the, the GoPro, given the the, the uh, PlayStation. I doubt that that was ending up being an expense to the league, right? There's partnerships. There's opportunities to be able to to exploit. And this is what you do an individual. Blake Rogers, sponsored by Aquanet. Get the best mullet in America. <laughs> yeah. in I love that. We're We're gonna gonna Just to play a devil's advocate a little bit, um, a lot of places that are getting those revenues from right now, like on eSports, they, have, they already have an established market. They have personalities yeah. that they want to come see on live TV or the internet, or like right. when you were talking about like Charles Barkley earlier, you know, he has a huge following. You know, that's true. We're not we're not big enough yet where our names are nationally recognized. Where you know we're not going to have that two million uh, live viewership like NASCAR does. Absolutely, you know? but it just like with any social media, the more you're out there, the more you're out there, the more you're out there, oh, the more you're push it, push it, push and, it. And and I I think the the that's and this has been MLRs and this has been the MLR problem in general as a league. Their social media kind of slacks at times. So I think they again, I I don't know if it's resources or if it's you know a lack of understanding or they want the teams to push it more than than the league itself, but somebody has to take that leadership role and you have to think of esports more of like social media versus it being a viable option to be a league with, you know, with, with, with a sport, you know? Right. So, so do you, do you promote your brand? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so do you, 
use a guy like Chris Robshaw and um, Maanonu and your big names to then introduce your Blake Rogers, who isn't known outside the United States rugby circles, right, to a larger rugby audience outside the United States, right? Because there's going to be a draw for those players, even in an esports situation during the offseason. And now all of a sudden, American players such as Blake become more familiar names outside the United States. Absolutely. And again, it goes back to the spectacle of it. Blake Rogers plays Ben Foden, loser shaves their head. That's going to get views. <laughs> I'm get views. <laughs> you put the mother at risk. Oh gosh, I don't know. That'd be a pretty high price to pay. <laughs> make sure you beat Ben Foden, and we get to see him bald. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Just don't yeah, play Luke White. He has an unfair advantage. Right, and that's something that is very engaging for viewers and fans. They want to be a part of that. They feel like they're in the middle of it. You know, they're connected to players. You know, you can leverage all the things that makes rugby great is that they have access to players, unlike other sports. So, you know, a fan competition where they can compete against their favorite player, which has already been incorporated, but it can grow from that now. You know, they've already laid this foundation. It had a level of engagement. You know, you can continue to grow it. but, you know, when you look at rugby as a whole, the sport can really, do, you know, use this as a tool, not only the MLR. I mean, what we're talking about can be employed by all of them. You know, recently we had the, the new president vote of World Rugby, where one of the candidates, the old vice president, Pishot, was certainly an advocate for employing uh, these techniques to be able to encourage esports as a platform to be able to grow the game. So it wasn't necessarily embraced. But at some point, you have to imagine you can no longer ignore this massive market that they're unyet to uh, to tap into, regardless whether it's the MLR or World Rugby. They haven't done a good enough job. Right. And, and esports is a big deal. If uh, I'm a fan of watching ballers, I, I'm, I'm guessing the big guy likes to watch ballers, too. Uh, esports played a huge role in uh, one of the most recent um, uh, seasons of ballers. Mm-hmm. I mean, if if uh, a guy like The Rock is is bringing it into the show in which he's the front man, then you got to know that it's something impor- important and critical inside the sports landscape. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So to be able to circle back around to the point of this conversation here, Scott, are you for it? And why do you think the MLR needs it? I'm for it, and I think the MLR needs it again. Use it like social media to push out. It doesn't always have to be playing a rugby game. It could be Blake Rogers playing Rob Hammerschmidt in Rocket League or playing <laughs> one-on-one Call of Duty with just snipers. You know, you, Again, make it a spectacle. Make it fun. It doesn't always have to be rugby-centric besides using the MLR name and players. Right. I get you. Just make them part of the conversation. Get the engagement up with fans. Absolutely. Rob, what are your thoughts? I'm supportive of it. I think it's a great idea. It's a great marketing tool. It's a great way to bring in sponsors. It's a great way to expose our players in the league to uh, a bigger market as long as it doesn't uh, trump the priorities of putting on a quality product on the field during the season. Absolutely. I understand there. It's supposed to be able to help it not become you know right. above it. An impediment. Right. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. So, Blake, what are your thoughts, man? Yeah, I'm going to have to piggyback a little bit on Rob there. I I would really like to see it used as a marketing device um, just to push the brand of MLR itself, you know, from the player level and to the league level. I think it just has a huge opportunity to make it more recognizable and just to grow it from more of a a personal level with players and fans. 
Right. And that's something that I've always enjoyed. And I'll say this in so many different episodes and I'll continue saying it. What separates rugby as a sport is that it has a culture of including the fans in everything it does. And this would be another great tool to be able to do that, giving them access to the players, humanizing them, uh, to be able to have conversations with them, to interact with them. I mean, what a great way to be able to grow the sport through the best ambassadors, which is the players. Yeah. So I think that we all understand that. And again, I will put it out to our Major League Rugby Rancher podcast viewers to be able to let us know what you think about this particular topic. Drop a comment below. Let us know. We'll make sure that we, of course, respond to that as quickly as you can, because I think you've got some great points of view as well. And we want to be able to hear what it is. So from myself, I need to be able to figure out who is the winner of this rant. So. Wearing yellow, receiving a yellow card. I mean, he kind of got sent off the field because he disappeared yeah. for a while. <laughs> that's for sure. It was an HIA. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was a hit injury assessment. All right, I came back uh, strong though. Yeah, came back strong. Yes, you did absolutely. But the yellow card uh, still puts you out of the race, my friend. It didn't um, put the big guy out of the race last week. Oh, I, was, I got past it. I was stronger. <laughs> okay, so back chatting won't help your cause. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't know. It's, it sits between Scott and it sits between Blake. Um, I'm going to probably a little bit uh, lean towards Blake on this one being the guest. I think we got to give him the honors on this one. You know, it's great to be able to have you to chat about obviously something that you're so heavily involved in being out there on the field, uh, you know, among all the other players, the topics that we spoke about hit home for you more than does anybody else. Right. So I do appreciate those. I'm sure I can speak the same for Scott and Rob that we truly do. Appreciate Rob, let, me, let me pass this down. I'll pass this down. He'll pass it over. Okay. There we go. Like, we got to practice that next time. Yeah. I can't do it, though. But, Blake, it really has been a, a fun experience. I hope you had a good time with us. Yeah, I always do. Uh, I appreciate all the love and support you guys give me. So uh, whenever you guys have questions or want me back on, just let me know. I'll be here. Excellent. Well, you know what? For the rest of our fans, we do hope that you've enjoyed this. Make sure that you take the opportunity to be able to smash that like button, subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on Facebook. And, of course, you can see us on the usual social media platforms under the handle at MLR rant for the rest of the gang between Scott, Rob, Blake, and myself, Ty Braga, your host of the MLR rant. Thank you for watching. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Fileo fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.